When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I'm going to shut, shut the door to shut, shut my boyfriend's noise out. Shh, quiet. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK, WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making your way here, checking out the episode. Uh, please hit the subscribe button uh, so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. That's a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world at all the usual spots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm talking with Lauren Mayberry of Churches. We get to talk again this time about their new record called Screen Violence. It's uh, it's one that finds the synth-pop band using uh, horror movies as a parallel to what was happening in their lives over the past few years. And Lauren discusses the, the darker side of fame that comes from the internet, explains the Kill Your Idols lyric on Good Girls, and working with The Cure's Robert Smith and director-musician John Carpenter. Uh, Lauren's also going to detail their latest release, a cover of Cry Little Sister that originally came from the Lost Boys soundtrack and, the, uh, and was recently released on the uh, Netflix film Nightbooks. But for the most part, it's all about screen violence. So let's do this. Kyle Meredith with Churches. Oh, thank you. What, a, what an introduction. That's lovely. That's yeah, so nice. I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to start just with totally complimenting you so much because I was listening to this record even more this week leading up to the interview and I was driving with it on and I said, this is one of those records that I feel like I'm going to be nostalgic about even in 20 years. Like, oh, I wish I could go back to the first time I heard that record. Jeez. Well, thanks man like it's really kind of you to say like I don't it's weird having the album out now because I think for so long you know I'm sure every person you talk to is like this is our best record about every record and yeah everybody says it about but when we finished it I think there was definitely a sense between the three of us and we're British so we don't like to say these things but we were like I think this is I think we did it I think this is to me I'm like yeah we thought we'd made the quintessential church's record but it's really nice to hear somebody like you say that we're like okay other people do agree that's good <laughs> it's not just narcissism yeah well that's the thing though because usually uh, fans uh, speaking as fans you know you like like your favorite 
album of an artist usually is the one that you first heard from the artist, whatever your entrance yes. point is for that artist. And, and my entrance point for you all were, were albums ago, but this is it. I, I agree with you. Like, this is the one this is so far. This is the best one. So I mean, no pressure there. But no, no thank you. Like, I feel like when we finished it, I think we were all sure that we had done our best. The best version of what we brought to the table was on that record. And I think for me, like, I've never really regret anything we've done. I'm proud of everything we've done because everything is like a snapshot of where you're at at the time. And I can hand on heart say that every record was the best we could have done at that time. But I don't know when I stepped away from this one and I was like, cause, cause the lyrics are slightly different than they were on previous churches records. And I think I kind of stopped applying the What would people, or what should I write because I'm in an electro band or cause I'm in an alternative band, a pop band, whatever. It was more just like, well, what writers do I, who do I love? Who's writing? Do I love? Why am I not letting myself do like, this is what my notebooks are full of is this stuff. So why do I not put it in the songs? Why am I always like, Oh, that just lives in this little section over here just for me. And it's just been really, I don't know, encouraging. I hate it when people say humble. I'm so humbled, but uh, very humbling to be like, oh, right. Like when you're actually doing something that is honest and not fabricated, it connects with people better, I guess. I don't know. Can you, it's, you might've already said it actually, but uh, can you pinpoint exactly for you what's different about the style of writing? I think, yeah. I think I just took off the self-imposed constraints that were there. Like, I think, well, because I've definitely done a lot of, like, learning in public with churches. Like, um, I was learning to write lyrics for this kind of band in public. I haven't really written that. I've written in one band before this, but I wasn't the, the main vocalist. It was shared vocals, or I was playing drums, or I was playing keyboards. So I feel like we did a lot of growing up in public, and I think that's been great in a lot of ways because it means you didn't overthink anything. But then I kind of got to a point where, like, on the third record, I was like, wanting to make lyrics that were more specifically these are pop lyrics and that means like dialing things to a certain space and but then when I came away from it I was like I like the stories I told in the verses more than what I did in the choruses and I wonder how how to do that better next time around and I guess we were lucky that uh some of the more negative life experiences that we've had led us to this concept and then I think because we were just locked in the house alone for a year like what do you do when you're in a band and all the bullshit around a band disappears and all that ceases to exist is like all that remains is the band itself. So to me, I was like, why would I waste time writing something that I'm like, oh, I think that that's what people would like me to say. That seems like a strange way to make music. And not that we've done that all the time, but there's, you know, there's certain moments I look at and I'm like, yeah, it wasn't fully me. It was putting on a character which is fun if that's what you want to do. I see David Bowie posters behind you, you know. If that's something you're purposefully doing in order to further tell your stories, then great. But if you're putting it on to, I don't know, to occupy a space that's not necessarily comfortable for you or yours to own, then it feels a bit odd. So I don't know. It's weird to say I had an aha moment. But to me, I'm like, I don't know how to, like at this point, anything I've been writing since then, I'm like, well, no, that's the that's the standard you should hold yourself to. So Keep going. The, Keep the, going. I hope. I hope. I don't know. So the space that you all are in, it's so interesting. And I'm actually going to jump out of the album and then take the long way back around in to, to do something um, uh, more recent, uh, because you all just released uh, a cover of one of my all time favorite songs. Uh, yes. and, and talking about Cry Little Sister. Let's see if I can get this. Uh, got my old, old <gasps> copy of the uh, Lost Whoa. Boys soundtrack here. Yeah. So that's... 
yeah, that's uh, originally, you know, come, come from this Lost Boys soundtrack. And it fits so well, of course, what we're getting in this record. So, so I hope, so I want to start there actually. Um, why, why did this one arrive? Why, you know, what made you all tackle this one for the, uh, the Netflix movie that it's uh, just uh, hopped on? Well, we've been talking about this film and that song specifically since the basically the beginning of the band. And every, like, we've tried a number of times whenever radio stations are like, Hey, do a cover for us. We're like, what about this? And they're like, no, why don't you just choose something in the top 40? And we're like, yeah, but yeah, I feel like that's what's so cool about the this moment for the band is that horror movies and those kinds of movies that feel nostalgic to you because of this the sounds and the stories of that time of your life. Like that's always been a big part of what we talk about is what we how we started to bond when we were starting the band. We had nothing in common. It's like these were the things that we talked about. And I feel like it's always been in the background of churches somewhere, but we've never really done anything with it. And yeah, when it was coming up to making of this record, I made like a massive list of like, here's things that we could cover, not thinking that anybody would let us. And then it was just such strange and fortuitous timing because uh, the people that are making Nightbooks, which is the Netflix film, said there was a lot of references to Lost Boys throughout their film and throughout their story. And then the original is in there for a snippet. And then our, our versions at the end. And we got this email being like, this is going to need to be a really quick turnaround. And the band might not know the song, but they should check it out. And I was like, yeah, I think I think we know the song. We know. <laughs> but the lyrics are quite odd. I will say, because we, we had to do, they, the brief was they wanted a kind of slower, more kind of, not ballady, but they didn't want the 80s bombast. And when I had to like look at the lyrics, I was like, hmm, cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Twas the season mm. uh, at, at, at the time, it, it, and I love, by the way, that um, uh, one of you all posted. You, you all had hung with Kiefer at some points, so I it's mean, sort of a, a circle. Hung, I feel like he would not describe it as having hung out with us. I think he was accosted in a radio station hall- hallway, and he was very kind and stood near us while we were like, "You're eating maggots," and he was like, uh-huh, "Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. I've done many things that aren't that, but sure." Uh, but yeah, so I feel like, and that. Well, that would have been on the first album we met him. So like 2014 or something. And every so often we're like, remember that time? Remember that time we met Keith? <laughs> now he's going to be much more impressed. You know, the star has risen. He's like, oh, that's now he's yeah. going to call it hanging with you guys. That's what's. Maybe. Well, apparently he, he's a musician as well, right? Mm-hmm. He makes. Yes, so, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe if he needs Ian and Martin are in the production game. If he needs anybody to produce his <laughs> records, I'm sure they'd be more than honored to know. Uh, further down, further down the spiral, to uh, to quote Nine Inch Nails, um, uh, John Carpenter is also a part of the story because he sent some remixes yeah. for you. I mean, everything just kind of lines up right now with with this world, and that must have been its own experience with uh, with Carpenter. Oh man, like I also I look at, back at last year and I'm like, obviously all the terrible things that we all know about, and all the terrible times that I had in my house, being like, what if? my parents die and I can't get back to the UK and I won't be able to see it and all those things. But there were other times where I was like in this strange bubble where like anything seems possible almost because everybody was more open to things. And I was, I remember walking about my kitchen being like, maybe just trying to think of ways to tell the story of the record without touring. And I was like, what if we get like regular club remixes, but we do remixes from composers like reinterpretations of things and i texted our manager being like you know some somebody like 
John Carpenter. And then I was like, oh, go away, make a list. And then by the time I made my list, he was like, okay, well, I've emailed John Carpenter and him and his team are down to do this and they've chosen the song. And I was like, what in the fucking, like, it feels like for a very dark macabre record, it was really blessed in a lot of ways. It feels, and like Clive Barker, who is an artist and writer that I love, and I think he's written some of the best stories in the horror genre he did a piece of art for a zine that we did and obviously robert smith is on the record um, i feel like the dark forces have blessed blessed this <laughs> album i don't know what happened that's what makes it i guess so beautiful and 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 you all have talked about it you, you've talked about how the horror genre is so important to this record and, and as you were saying to the band you know all, all throughout the years and, and you know i guess the most obvious question is why hmm. why does it play such an important part because you've already alluded to, you know, having some rough spots leading into the recording of this record. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is if I just throw some assumptions out there and use my imagination, it's not hard to draw the parallels of horror movies and maybe what's been going on in your life. Am I, is that too much of a reach? Um, No, there was definitely a conscious double meaning to it when we came up with the, came back to the title. So we were touring uh, it would have been late summer 2019 and you know the beginning of 20, 2019 was quite an up and down time for the band there was a lot of stuff happening around around the band I think that's the most probably the most I've ever been written about in like non-music specific press but not for anything really to do with me kind of and you know there was a lot of stuff that went along with that and I never wanted to seem like boohoo white woman's tears victim whatever but you know no amount of I don't have any media training and no amount of media training can prepare you for waking up to that kind of stuff every day. And people can say, oh, the Internet's not real. But if you wake up to an inbox full of people saying they want to murder you, it feels pretty real. Like You can't really tell your brain. You can't like consciously you can process it in some way. But I think that it was odd to get to the end of that touring and be like, oh, right. Some stuff has gone a bit wrong inside my my cranium that I need to go figure out. So I think, yeah, for the guys, they reson- the concept, concept resonated with them because they love that era of filmmaking and the composers that worked on those, those films. And a lot of the synths that they use on those soundtracks are the synths that we have. And I felt like it would be a, just a fun kind of returning home to things that we love. And then for me, I don't know, I guess... I hope it doesn't sound too pretentious, but at first I thought it was going to be purely just a horror concept thing and it would be escapist and it would feel nice to not have to stand in my own shoes for a minute. But then after like a couple of songs, I was like, it's not that though, is it? And I think that you know that it's not that, but we're just going to keep pretending. And I, I think that's really, was really great in terms of writing different things because you can tell personal perspectives and have this imagery as the landscape. And I think a lot of people, but a lot of women especially, who love horror. I think I watch it because I find something in it that makes me feel like I'm not insane because I think everybody, a lot of people, but especially women can relate to the sensation of being watched and being hunted and the bargaining and the running and that you have to keep running. You have to keep running. You have to keep, you have to keep just justifying for yourself and trying to make yourself safe in a universe that doesn't feel safe for you. So I don't know. I think for me, I was like, it would be fun to take those ideas and make them personal. And so it was. It's not as depressing as it sounds. It sounds really depressing when we talk about it. But I guess, yeah, it's been interesting to reflect on the record because we finished it like 
last November, maybe. And I guess when we've been listening through it more recently, yes, I feel like it delves into a lot of heavy topics, but I also think for me, it sounds like it's trying to talk about perseverance, like trying to find a place of peace in a space in life where it doesn't feel peaceful for anybody, I don't think. So that's my hope. There, there, there were songs on here. Like, I felt like there were moments where you're being very uh, straightforward about, um, you know, there's a lot of moments where it sounds like people are trying to tell you who to be. And I don't get the sense that you give into that, but you can obviously hear that. I mean, uh, he said, she said, has those moments in there. Uh, How not to drown. I feel like has those moments in there, but like, like, I guess what I'm getting at is I I feel the perseverance in there as well, uh, along with the struggle. Yeah. And I feel like I've been incredibly lucky in my life and in this band specifically, like I wouldn't, change any of it I'm so grateful for it and yeah I think it's just for me I'm like it's always been a a duality in this band like even since the beginning people are always like oh Lauren she's so forthright and she doesn't do this she said this and but then I'm like that's not actually how I I'm like a very mushy soft (laughs) emotional person but I feel like I can advocate for myself when I need to but it I don't know it's like every time you do one of those things it chips away a little bit it's like a little chip a little chip a little chip and then I think by the time I got to the end of 2019, like when all that stuff was happening, I was like, our manager was like, do we pull the shows? Do we go home? What do we do? And I'm very pigheaded about things. So I'm like, no, we're not going to cancel any of this stuff because you show no weakness. You show no mercy. You keep going. But then by the end of it, I was like, okay. But after a certain amount of those things chipping away, it's going to take a toll on people and people not talking about that and not writing about that feels weird, you know? I don't know. And, and then inevitably you get the words, the themes that that find themselves on here there's a lot of drowning on this record. There's a lot of falling. There's a lot of dying. And I want to repeat what you said. It's not a depressing record somehow. <laughs> you know, it's a very yeah. fun album. Yeah. I guess that was the trick. I think like sometimes like a lot of the lyrics come, like, came from stuff that was written in like notebooks over the course of time. I just write stuff down as I think about it. And I look back at things and like a lot of the lyrics on how not to drown were written in like a big screed that was like three or four pages long. And I'm like, well, a lot of this is a bit much. <laughs> like not in terms of feeling it, but in terms of putting it in a song. Like I think you, yeah, that's the the trick of the light, I suppose. It's like, how do you, and especially with the horror concept, I think that gave more space to say stuff that is quite macabre and is quite sinister but it's more allowed because it feels escapist in a way. And then the, those bits can be the escapist moments and the more honest bits are just the more straightforward, raw parts, I suppose. But yeah, I don't know what that's about. I should probably seek out some kind of help for that. I don't know why it's always like, I guess, water drowning overwhelm. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I took it as. I don't know. Yeah. There, there was one line on here that I did definitely want to ask about. Now that, that was in Good Girls. Um, it's right at the beginning too, when you, when you, it's the kill your idols line. Yes. Because that's like what I, you know, thinking back and forth on that, it's like, oh, is this something like the way her fans relationship with her? Like you can, you know, know. be a fan and suddenly you're, you know, all this, cause you deal with a lot, you know, uh, sometimes as, as the focus uh, of the, of the group. But I didn't know also if you were talking about your own idols. I guess I didn't really think about maybe there was an element of that in the subconscious of it. I think for me, it was more about like that line is something I wrote in my notebook after a very long conversation in a pub with a bunch of friends and everybody was talking about how, you know, what's what's too much in terms of artists that you love? What do they have to do for you to not want to 
consume their art anymore. And I think I was definitely on the more sensitive end of the scale. And then as I was sitting back looking, I'm like, yeah, but everybody else at this table is a dude. And then there was a point where I was like, oh yeah, nobody makes, we don't really have these conversations about that many female artists. So we certainly wouldn't go to this length to, to excuse the behavior of female artists because, and I do think that, you know, the two things can, someone can be an incredible artist and horrible misogynist, a, a racist, a, a sexual abuser. Like those things can be true. And I guess for me, I don't, uh, like I don't like especially uh, for music and especially if the person's a lyricist I think it's when you're listening to music if you're a lyrics person like it's incredibly vulnerable to let that person into your emotional space and if I know that you think really egregious <laughs> horrendous things then it makes it hard for me to be vulnerable with you I guess but what I was struck by when we we're having these conversations I was like yeah but when we're talking about Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, R. Kelly Morrissey I was like none of the things they are accused of would impact anybody else anybody at this table so it's easier for you to make that separation because it would never be emotional for you it's always going to be academic and abstract and then I sat on it for a few years and then we made a pop song out of it I don't know again it sounds depressing but I think for me I'm like there's two modes of churches writing there's the one where I'm like I can say all the things that I actually really don't like about myself and I'm really ashamed of but there's the other part where I'm like but wouldn't it be great if I was actually like this and I could say these things? And I think Good Girls falls into that category where I'm like, come on, guys, off we go. And it, <laughs> I don't know if that happens in real life, but, you know, it's nice to have those two, two vibes on it. You had me thinking about that. I can't name one woman artist who's ever disappointed me like that. And I can, I can name plenty of male artists who have... Who have disappointed me like that? No. Well, and not that women, especially especially straight white women, can be terrible. Like there's been a lot of disappointments in those areas in recent years, but it's a different kind of conversation, you know. And I think it is easier for me when we've had discussions about it within the band and within my friendship group because, you know, what were the who were the women I loved when I was like 18? I'm like, it was Alanis Morissette and Liz Fair, PJ Harvey, and I'm like, oh my own problematic faves, you know, like, <laughs> which I just saw Alanis and Shirley. Uh, so garbage last night. Actually. Did you caught the show? I did. I am going, I'm going. So don't, no yeah. but yes, I mean, and Cat Power was on the tour now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We walked in right at the end of her set, unfortunately. Uh, so, but, but you know, I'm, I'll, I've seen her a lot, thankfully, and, and I will see her again, but, uh, yeah, what a heady, what a, what a heady lineup. Woo! I don't yeah. know if I'll handle it. I might need to just go in a wetsuit because I will just sob too much. <laughs> like angry sobbing, sad sobbing, happy sobbing, just sobbing, I think. Just sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know we got to wrap up. I, 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 you've already brought it up, but I'll quickly hit it here. Not that you haven't talked about him a lot, but you do have Robert Smith on here. And, and, and I know that's, that was, from what it sounds like, its own credible experience. You know, you, I, I, so I would ask though, you know, you create with someone like that, a hero. I don't know if you would call him a hero, but um, I certainly do. And but there's that person, uh, the humanized version of, of that person. Do you still allow yourself to give someone like him the myth of Robert Smith and the cure while you're being very personal? Does that exist, that 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 type of thing? I think he's just been so incredibly kind to us and so generous, like creatively and otherwise. Like my understanding of just having done a couple of interviews with him to talk about the record and from talking to him a bit about it outside of that is that he's very aware of 
what the cure means to people. And I think there's just such, again, generosity and kindness in that. And I feel like, yeah, I wouldn't do it at him because I think that that would be uncool. But yeah, I think that he's very like self-deprecating. And if anybody says anything nice about him during those calls, he's like, and just recoils. But, you know, there is a kindness in the way that he talks about fans and people that love The Cure and people that contact him who are now in bands who love The Cure. And I think a lot of people wouldn't have that, I don't know, that kindness of heart or that self-awareness or something. And I think it's quite rare. Like I watched uh, that carpool karaoke business, but uh, it's, you know, hit and miss for me personally. But I watched the Paul McCartney one and he's back in Liverpool. And I was like, yeah, again, another person that I'm like, well, you are a person with an interior life and your own existence and you exist as a human and sometimes stuff in the public eye, the tiny degree I've experienced it, is weird because you're like a concept. You're abstract to people for better, in good ways and in bad ways. It's very odd. You kind of aren't a person anymore. So you need to try and separate those things. But yeah, knowing what you mean to somebody or what his music means to somebody, like I think there's just a very specific kind of kindness that's involved in that. And it's just bloody lovely, isn't it? It's just really nice. Well, that was the obvious parallel I, I was going to draw because, uh, the, of course, there are people that look at you the same way. You know that 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 have that that odd mythologized relationship. I, I was thinking actually, uh, you're bringing up Shirley Manson, like my in the early days when I was younger. So much of my concept of who they were was from a music video, from the music mm. videos. You know, because that's yeah, there's yeah. so much of a world created in there, and um, and and you know, I will wrap this up by just saying. I love the world that you all create. Thanks, you know, man. Really appreciate yeah. that. And we had a lot of time inside to plan this one. So I'm glad that we used our time wisely and not just telly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the telly that you did have uh, worked out uh, for, for what inspired this as well. So yes, that's, there was a lot of that. weird afternoons watching inappropriate content for the time of day. And I'm like, it's research, leave me. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, screen violence is so, so good. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we'll see you when we tour. If we're allowed to tour, then that'll be fun. Absolutely. I'll be there. Take care and we'll see you then. Awesome. Have a good day. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, No minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now, the last time Lauren and I got to talk was uh, back in uh, 2018 with her record, uh, Love is Dead. At that time, we discussed reaching for a bigger pop song, uh, a pop sound, rather, on songs like Get Out, uh, working with Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics and uh, Matt Berninger of The National, and being an outsider in American politics with uh, specific thoughts on gun control. I want to include that one here, too, part two of Kyle Meredith with Lauren Mayberry of Churches. Hi, how's it going? I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks, man. I'm good. Thank you for making the time to have a quick chat on that. 
Oh, thank you for making the time to have the quick chat. It's uh, it's really an honor. I've been such a fan lately. So. Oh, thanks, man. That's like you're the one. I knew there was. I'm like someone, not our mother, is listening to this. And I'm like, oh, it's Kyle. Cool. It's me. It. <laughs> you know what? I call I call bullshit on that because I've seen the numbers online and everything, and it's uh, it's massive right now. So. Our, our moms are really busy, like constantly repeating <laughs> it on multiple devices. Yeah. <laughs> There's that Scottish sense of humor that I love so much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we have to self-deprecate, otherwise we would, self, we would like spontaneously combust, I don't know. But seriously, though, congratulations uh, on, on the record, uh, Love is Dead, and especially this first single, Get Out, which has got to be one of the uh, coolest, catchiest songs I've heard this year. Well, thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah, we were really, really pleased with the response to it, and just to start having songs out in the world feels really nice, because we've been living with it for so long, and I feel like now there's two songs out there, it's easier for people to kind of get a sense of what the record's going to be like because mm-hmm. um, I feel like Get Out feels like a church song to me but it's definitely uh, more direct than a lot of the other stuff we've done and I feel, feel like having My Enemy going alongside that probably reassured a lot of people who have been a fan of the band for a longer period of time that we haven't completely sold the farm like you know we want to make pop music but we want it to be you know emotional and thoughtful and I feel like those things can exist in the same universe it doesn't have to be completely one way or the other And I mean it is pretty impossible talking about this record and not bringing up that p word pop music um yeah <laughs> you know, you, i mean you, you all have always you know had a pretty strong aspect of pop but this is definitely something bigger it's something shinier in a sense but there i also get a sense that you've taken control of pop in in a way like we use that word broadly and, and sometimes generic to mean certain things and this still isn't exactly that right yeah, I think for us it was always important that it feels like our band and it has a little bit of a twist on it. And we did nine out of 13 songs with Greg Kirsten and one track with Steve Mack, which people haven't heard yet. But I feel like those guys live in that pop world, but Greg especially, he's worked on so many different kinds of records. He's not trying to make you write a standard pop song for the radio. And I feel like that's what we figured out quite early on when we were having little speed dates around Los Angeles. Like there's some people who are amazingly talented, but the way they work just doesn't work for us because there's kind of a culture of writing a blueprint song that could kind of work for anybody and that will go on the radio but when we were in those sessions I was like yeah we've written something it's okay but it doesn't feel like us it feels like this approach applies to another band and I think we always want it to feel I don't know to feel like it has the uh, the personality and the sensibility that's been on the previous records and you know I don't I don't know I don't think that pop music automatically has to be unimaginative or has to be about certain things and I think that was a refreshing thing for us to experience when we met Greg like we just went in and the first thing we wrote on the he wrote on the first day he played on the synth that opening riff to get it and we're like oh I think this guy this might work with this guy so yeah it was really really fruitful experience that guy's been knocking it out of the park so many times lately it's so impressive so amazing yeah. well and I feel like the thing that we love about it is that at the end of the day he's just an insane musician and such a such an intellectual about that kind of music and he's made huge pop records but the fact that he can make a Sia record and a Dell record but also a Food Fighters record is one that like speaks to the talent that he has and the imagination that he has. He doesn't just try and apply his way of doing things in exactly the same way to everyone. He kind of it seems like he kind of analyzes the person or the band and then slots 
in wherever he feels like he needs to do. And it was really, it was just like having a fourth member of the band for a few months. And like, he's, has he been here forever? It feels like we've been having these conversations for years. But uh, yeah, he's just an incredible talent, I think. Now, this guy might fall in in line with the speed dating part of it, but I think I read early on you all, you all were also worked with Dave Stewart, uh, formerly of the Eurythmics? We did, yeah. Like, Dave is obviously an absolute legend, and we love the Eurythmics and all the stuff that he's written for people since then. And we were really sad that those songs didn't end up making the record, but we did that so early in the process. By the time we came to pull the album together, we were like, it's just too disconnected. It doesn't feel like it fits with where we end up. But I feel like he's like such a such an example of the classic way of producing. It's like he kind of looks inside people's minds and figures out how they tick and then pokes, pokes at the certain things that can make you kind of uncomfortable, but then it's pushing you to do different things. And I feel like it was really, really interesting to talk to him about the idea of artistry in what is kind of pop music. Like they sold so many records. It's insane how much they, they were so popular, but they were always so creative and so artistic and they weren't changing the way they wanted to do things to fit with the current idea of what's popular. And like he definitely made us think a lot more about how we approach things around about the songs. He was saying it for them. He was like, the Eurythmics never looked at it as an annoying press shot they had to do or a stupid video they had to make. He was like, this is your opportunity to tell the story a little bit further. So how do you want to do that? And I think sometimes we used to look at where the band lived as a bit of a anomaly, sort of. We're not too, we're not so far on the side of pop, but we're not so far on the side of alternative. So we kind of sometimes fall between the two categories. And he was like, he was so encouraging. I was like, guys, this is actually a really amazing thing that not a lot of people have, and you should use this to do stuff that's more interesting and more creative than some of your pop contemporaries can. But do things on a more mainstream scale than more alternative contemporaries can. And, I guess it's like, that's very positive. It's a very enthusiastic way of looking at the world. And it was really inspiring. And to be able to, I mean, to work with your heroes or something like that, because, I mean, Eurythmics is obviously one of the greatest bands of all time. But to still, you know, to be in that position where you're creating with someone who's, I don't know if they, I'm, I'm assuming from what it sounds like, they've had the same effect on you that they had on me. But to be able to have that opportunity, you know, <laughs> at some point you've got to let your guard down. I don't know how quick that happens for you. Maybe a little bit quicker these days than it would have in the past. I think when we went into that session, especially, we were definitely nervous on the way to it. We we're like, why are we even going into this room? What's this? This seems like a terrible idea. Like, why? We're not going to be able to do anything. But then, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, we wouldn't have said yes if we didn't think that he saw something in the band that he liked. And I don't know, I guess I'm like, maybe these, I feel like these are the things we'll remember in like 20 years from now that we got to do something like that, no matter what else happens. Like, you've got to have those experiences. And like, they were so inspiring on a musical level, but everything else around them was so inspiring too. Like, I rewatched some clips from the Grammys where Annie did the Drag King outfit and like thinking about when that happened and what she was saying at that time, like there's pop stars now who wouldn't even bother to be as brave as that however many years after the fact. And they were just, just it's just so inspiring to see. So I was really, really, really pleased that we got to even get in a room with Dave, let alone soak up his wisdom. So. Yeah. Well, another one of those giants that uh, I think you've been affiliated with, and I just had on my show a few days ago, was Shirley Manson. Oh, what a legend. <laughs> what a legend. I mean, and not only, you know, do you, do you get to share the home country with her and all that, but, you know, she's been so instrumental in, in, in talking about a lot of things that's really in line with the things that you've also been talking uh, about out there that, of course, I've been really interested in. You know, because um, I think it's always important, you know, and, and I'm obviously talking about the broader things that's happening in America here, but it's always so important to get what it looks like from the outside, you know, to people who really care. And that seems like something that you've really 
made a stake in. Um, because, I mean, being you know from Scotland and everything, you could sort of just not pay attention if you wanted to, or not care because you you know it's it's happening somewhere else. But that's not the line you've taken, though, right? Well, I guess we're lucky enough to have toured so much in the U.S. I think we've toured here more than anything anywhere else, and I've been living here since the end of 2015, and I understand the impulse some people have to be like, "Shut up! You're not even from here. What do you even know about it?" But if you live in the place and you experience these things, you know, it's important to be informed, but I don't really understand that argument of just because you're technically not, not born in a place, you can't understand the social tensions and the political things that are happening. And I don't know, it just seems irresponsible at this particular point in where we are in politics here, but in politics generally around the world. I feel like we'll look back on this, and if people who had the chance to do something useful or use that platform to give voice to other people. If people don't do that, I think we'll look back on that and history will not not smile fondly upon those people, I don't think. One of the big issues I thought I'd bring up because it's been such, you know, so relevant right now is, of course, gun control. Uh, what's been happening over here? I know that's affected you in quite a way. And you've kind of been talking about that there is a way forward, right? I think so. Well, I've been trying to follow the news here as much as possible. And I guess it is different in the UK because we don't have the idea of the Second Amendment right isn't a thing in the UK. And um, I don't know, I guess it's similar in a lot of countries. The idea of guns as a right doesn't exist. It's more of guns as a privilege. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's like there's a, there are gun owners talking about how it is important to have sensible measures on these things because that seems like the right thing to do to protect society. And if people who are... A, personally affected by that can see that it's strange to me that other people can't and when you look at the statistics of politicians who take money from the NRA it makes complete sense as to why people like Marco Rubio can be so personally affected it's happening in his state but he's still not able to make that extra jump and ultimately at the end of the day the reason is political funding and that's really scary and really sad I think. Well, I, I can tell you from this American, and I can only speak for me personally, I'm really happy that you are speaking out about the things you're just talking about, because like I said, I think it's so important to hear from someone who isn't so much in the weeds as I feel like a lot of us can be uh, all the time. So, you know, thank you for using your platform. Oh, well, thank you. Sometimes I go outside and I'm like, oh, my God, people have punches. It's terrifying. And then I want to run back inside. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, though, to, you know, I, I'll bring this back around to music, though, you know, to make a song that tackles these issues. And, and I know sort of, you know, if it's not something specific, the, these bigger issues do thread themselves throughout the album. Like, to, how do you filter that to give the song still a chance of being a great song 10 years from now? You know, and I'll use something like Neil Young, who I'm a big fan of, but he definitely writes songs that's not going to make sense and, and has written songs, you know, that's so specifically for that moment. That, you know, other than melody, like, how do you do that, filter that through with still making a great pop song? Well, I guess for us, when we're writing, we always kind of talk about it as being like a snapshot of where you were at that time. And I feel like there's songs on the first record that maybe we don't feel as connected to as we did at the time, but it's like a little go around of what happened to you in that moment. And I feel like that's kind of where I was at with the lyrical writing on this. It was just more about kind of sitting with the personal and political things that are happening just now and figuring out what do you actually do about that? How do you sit with, do you just sit with that kind of sadness and frustration or can you move on in some way and how do we do that? And so that's what we're thinking thematically. And then in terms of the actual writing, we normally sit down and do an instrumental of the song and we'll get a kind of nonsense vocal melody over the top. And this time we were really conscious of wanting to, on the first day, get 
at least a rough phrase or a couple of words in the chorus so we kind of know thematically where we were going to be and I think something like that kind of helps make sure that the the lyrical hooks and the melodic hooks are more connected and and hopefully that's how we manage to write about things that could end up being quite heavy and quite depressing but still make it sound that it still feels pop and hopeful and I think that's always important to us, the kind of balance between the dark and the light. Well, uh, two things I'll bring up that really does fall in line with that is one, that title, Love is Dead, looks you know on paper like a big downer. But I guess I read, I feel like there is hope in a broad issue statement like that. You know, like Love is Dead is, is sort of a, a push for a change is the way I've interpreted it. Yeah, I think that's what we wanted. Like, I guess at the end of the day, we, like when we saw the phrase written down, we were like, well, it's bold and it's challenging in one way or another. People will either vehemently agree with that or vehemently disagree. And I feel like at least if you're pushing people to think something or feel something or question something, then that's kind of what we want to be doing with what we're making. And same with the album cover. Like I saw a little, before I was like, don't look at the internet. I saw people being like, why? Why? Ew, this is horrible. Why have we done this? But I think from our point of view, it was supposed to kind of take the take the paradigm of the girl on the cover and put it on its head because we're like, fine, we finally put a girl on, the girl on the cover. But it's got this kind of garish neon all over the top of it and the eyes are scratched out. And we we're kind of trying to think about that old school kind of punk iconography. And I guess the point was that if you see that as a little thumbnail or you see that on a poster or you see that on a vinyl, even if you think it's disgusting, you're going to stop for a second and be like, ooh, what is that? And I don't know. I think that's kind of where we were at with that and the title as well, like opening a conversation, I suppose. Well, the, and, and I'll point at the other t- side of that, what I was talking about with that balance is <laughs> having a duet with Matt Berninger, who is like the great balance of uh, in himself, you know, a dark brooding voice and one of the greatest senses of humor that I think I've, uh, I've, I've ever come across. Yeah, I guess like we've known that in passing through festivals and stuff and then we worked on, he kind of spearheaded the Seven Inches for a Planned Parenthood project that we were part of last year. And I guess getting to know Matt through that was so interesting because we loved his music for so long all those guys are so talented and his lyrics are so amazing and he's such a storyteller in the way that he sings but it's funny when you meet him in real life i'm like oh you just want a little rascal he's such a scamp <laughs> and i was like it's one thing that's position but i don't know i just suppose it shows that people are never one thing or the other no always surprises. and he he's got a comedy coming out i mean he's got a tv comedy coming out i cannot wait to see that well, and even the the documentary that they did, um, mm-hmm. like the, it was so like emotional and touching, but still there was so much tongue in cheek, dark humor in it. And I, yeah, I feel like he's such, they're such inspiring people. They're so creative in so many different ways, and it's just really really nice to be able to meet people and learn things from them. I guess. Yeah, it's worth asking then is if there's anybody else that's uh, that you're going to be working with. I don't know if you're allowed to say that answer, but. Uh... Um, I feel like Matt's the big surprise. That's that's the end. Imagine, imagine, like we had so many things on there that Matt was like the appetizer. That would be crazy. But uh, you know, I feel like we were just so excited that he even replied to the email. When we were like, "Do you want to listen to this song?" And yeah, I guess I've loved that band for so long, and just never ever thought that lyrics that we wrote would come out of Matt's mouth. So uh, yeah, we were just really excited and happy that the song's in the world now. People can hear it and you know do with it what they want to do. I love the song. I, I love every song I've heard on this record so far. Uh, thank you, Lauren, so much for taking the time to talk today and uh, and for all of this fantastic music. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, we're excited for you guys to hear the record. Thank you for supporting it. Anytime, all the time. Um, we'll see you out there on the road. <laughs> awesome, cool. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Lauren Mayberry. Again, the brand new Churches album is called Screen Violence. It is absolutely one of the best albums of the year. 
And thanks to you as well for uh, checking out the episode. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here again so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out. It's a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Interviews Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, including uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. I got like a fancy mic, a fancier microphone than Rob, and it always, it's always on. And then I open the Zoom and then it mutes me when, when I go on. And I'm like, anyway, really interesting start to the chat. <laughs> it's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.